you want to find your place at the Revelation in chapter 12, Revelation chapter 12, as I said, my, my prayer is that we will finish recovering a chapter a night. Uh, for those of you that are new to us and what we're doing is sort of a running commentary. It's not preaching necessarily like this morning. It's uh, a running commentary, uh, trying to interpret uh, the revelation as accurately as we can. I'm not bringing in uh, all the different uh, thoughts and ideas that was taken care of in my study. I'm trying to lay out for you what is what I believe an accurate interpretation uh, of this book. When we come to chapter 12, we're going to be introduced uh, to the great fiery red dragon. Sounds like fun, doesn't it? We're going to find and be introduced to the Antichrist and we're a little later going to learn about the false prophets. So chapters 12 and 13 really go together. We won't get to chapter 13 tonight, but chapters 12 and 13 really go together, and they, they bring to our attention some additional characters that are, that are working during the tribulation. So let me just, for everyone to stay up with us, to make sure you know where we are. We're living in the church age. It began on the day of Pentecost, and it ends with the rapture of the church. Uh, Jesus comes with the voice of the archangel, the dead in Christ, Miss Penny. The dead in Christ rise first. If we're alive at that moment and remain, we'll be caught up together with them in the clouds. We'll be given a glorified body, reunited with our soul and spirit that have been with God. And then body, soul, and spirit in this new body that God gives to us will spend the rest of eternity, obviously, with him. But what follows the rapture of the church? I mean, in an instant, the twinkling of an eye, we're gone. The church is gone. And you can imagine the turmoil that will cause. The, the, you know, what, how are we going to explain this? Uh, was it aliens that came and stole their bodies? I mean, there's, you know, the body snatchers have come. Well, what's happened? What's happening? They'll be looking for explanations uh, in every fashion to be able to try to calm people uh, because of the absence of so many that are suddenly gone. But what begins shortly after that? Some people believe there's a short break between the rapture of the church and the opening days of the tribulation. That may be true. There's some reason to believe that's true. But it doesn't take long. There isn't a lot of break because the tribulation begins. That's seven years when God pours out his wrath on mankind, man, Christ-rejecting, God-hating mankind. Uh, God pours out his wrath over these seven years. You've seen some of it already in the, uh, the uh, trumpet judgments, and it starts with the seal judgments and then the trumpet judgments. Uh, the seal judgments, there were seven of them, and as each one of the seals was broken and they read what was on the scroll, the judgment came. And as you're watching those judgments, you're seeing progression. You're, you're moving chronologically through those seven years. At the end of the seal judgments, those seven, then there were seven trumpet judgments. And each time the trumpet was played, there was another judgment that was executed. And as you're following those trumpets, uh, you're seeing the, the progression, the chronology of the seven years progressing along until you get to the middle of those seven years, three and a half years in, um, uh, 42 months in. And things are going to change, and you're going to start seeing that here in a moment in chapter 12. Things are going to start to change dramatically and significantly. And in chapter 12, as I said, we're going to be introduced to Satan, to the Antichrist, and to the false prophet. As there is a holy trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, not three gods, one God in three persons, 
there is an unholy trinity. Uh, Satan, uh, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. And they will be functioning, they will be at work during the time of the tribulation. The Antichrist first appears at the very beginning. He's one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. He's the first of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. He comes riding on the white horse with a bow, but no arrow. In other words, he comes in peace. He didn't come trying to destroy or to fight. He comes in peace, promising to give Israel peace. We're going to protect you. We're going to take care of you. We're going to allow you to live in your land. We're going to make sure nobody brings harm to you. And so we'll take care of you. You can rebuild your temple. Uh, You can go ahead and rebuild your temple, and and you can reestablish worship, your Jewish worship, at this temple. And he's allowing that in this first half of the tribulation period. But when you get to the middle of the tribulation, all of that changes. All of that is reversed, and he turns against Israel. He's no longer that peacemaker that he said he would be for Israel. And so that's what we're beginning to see. That's what we're beginning to see unfolded here in chapters 12 and 13. And again, these two chapters really go together. They introduce these three diabolical characters. Verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12. Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. Now here's the first sign. You're going to see another sign here in just a moment. Here's the first sign. It's the sign of a woman who's clothed with the sun, moons under her feet, And she has the garland of 12 stars, and she's just about to give birth. Who is this woman? Well, we have the keys that who this woman is, uh, but I'll just tell you up front that this is Israel. This is the nation of Israel. The woman is the nation of Israel. We know that, first of all, because mention of the sun, moon, and stars is a definite reference to, uh, to Joseph's prophecy in Genesis chapter 37. So let's just look back there for a moment. Genesis chapter 37. Remember when Joseph has these dreams and his brothers and his family are bowing down to him? Remember that? Uh, notice, if you will, just look at one verse. We're not going to look at the whole dream, all those dreams of, of Joseph. Did it help him with his brothers? Didn't help him with his, <laughs> with his brothers. Uh, they didn't like him. They, they became angry with him as a result, sold him into slavery. Uh, he ends up in Egypt and ultimately rises to second in command. And, of course, he becomes the savior figure uh, because he provides the means of feeding his family during the seven years of famine. So all that unfolds from this story. But if you look at verse 9, this is, the, this is one of the dreams that, uh, that, that he had. Verse 9, then he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Look, I have dreamed another dream, and this time the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bowed down to me. Uh, if there's any children in the room, I wouldn't recommend you telling your brothers and sisters that uh, I want you to know you're all going to bow down to me one day. Not going to happen, uh, not going to have good outcomes if you do that. But the reality is that is what God was saying to, to uh, Joseph. And so we know this is Israel because this, is, this correlates with what uh, Joseph says in this prophecy all the way back in Genesis chapter 37. Secondly, we know it's Israel because the stars of the crown on her head are 12 in number. How many tribes of Israel are there? There are 12 tribes of Israel. So he's talking here about the nation of, of Israel. The third reason we know that this woman is Israel is because the child to whom, uh, to whom is born to her 
uh, is none other than Jesus Christ himself. If you want to come back to chapter 12, if you're not already there, come back to chapter 12, and if you look at verse 5, we're going to study this in a minute, but it says, she bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and his throne. Well, who's going to rule all the nations with a rod of iron? Who was caught up to God, who ascended up to God, and is at his throne? Well, that's Jesus. And so, again, that's another third evidence that this woman here is Israel that we're talking about. And fourthly, we know this woman is Israel because Jesus prophesied in Matthew 24, 15 to 22, that the Jews would have to flee for safety during the great tribulation. And that's what's going to happen in this chapter. You're going to read about the nation of Israel having to flee from Jerusalem and hiding themselves uh, during this second half of the tribulation because there's been a reversal uh, of the Antichrist in his treatment toward Israel. And now he will end up uh, during that last part of the seven years, he'll end up trying to kill them, trying to destroy them. So we know that the woman here is Israel herself. And so you're looking at uh, an event um, that takes place, as we read forward here, an event that takes place during the middle of the tribulation at the three-and-a-half-year mark of the tribulation. Verses 3 and 4. And another sign appeared. Here's the second sign. Another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his head, on his heads. Now notice he's got seven heads. He's got ten horns. Those are symbols of power. There's seven diadems. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman. We just met her a moment ago. It's Israel. The dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. By the way, who was the child? It's Jesus. And what has Satan been doing since the beginning of time? He's been trying to destroy the line of Christ. And now he's trying to destroy Christ himself. So that this second sign in this chapter is identified here as Satan himself, as the devil. He's called the great fiery red dragon. Doesn't sound very friendly, does it? And he's cast out of heaven, and he brings with him some of the stars of heaven, which we know are the angels. And he's looking back into the past, and he's remembering when Satan rose up in rebellion to God, said, I'm going to be like you, God. I'm going to sit where you sit. I'm going to be more beautiful than you. And, and God cast him out of heaven. And he took a portion of the angels with him that become the demons. And you read about it here in Revelation 12. Where else do you read about it? You read about it in Isaiah 14, and you read about it in Ezekiel 28. And how you remember that? Isaiah comes before Ezekiel. You take chapter 14, if you can remember Isaiah 14, uh, you double 14 and you get Ezekiel 28, right? And between those two books, there's two other books. So you go from Isaiah, turn past two more books to the book of Ezekiel, the chapter 28. And in those two books, it talks about political leaders, but behind those political leaders, there is a demonic, uh, there is a demonic force that is at work. And so there's an intermixture of, of talking about the political leaders being controlled by the demonic forces. Uh, that, that shouldn't be too strange to us. 
<laughs> hey, this, this is my sermon. Don't get ahead of me. Uh, look over, if you will, at Ephesians chapter 6. Y'all are getting ahead of me. You're thinking things maybe I'm not thinking. If, uh, Ephesians chapter 6, in the passage where Paul talks about the spiritual battle that we're in. We have to wear the armor of God. Ephesians chapter 6, notice what he says, verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, or as one preacher said, the willies of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Hear that? Even though they may be physical, political leaders that are doing these despicable things, we don't really wrestle against flesh and blood, but what? Against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. You hear what he says? Behind uh, political leaders can be at work these demonic forces. And that's what you're reading about in Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, these political leaders that are motivated by the satanic and, but in the process, you see in the background Satan rising up in rebellion to God and Satan being cast out of heaven. And then you read about it here again in uh, Revelation 12. That's what he's telling us. And so you have the woman Israel. You have this great fiery red dragon who is Satan himself, and he's cast out of heaven. By the way, when I say he's cast out of heaven from the beginning, that doesn't mean that he didn't ever have access to heaven. He didn't dwell there, but he had access to, to there. Well, we know that from the, book of Je from, the, from the book of Job, right? In the book of Job, God summons Satan and says, Have you considered my servant Job? Have you considered the kind of righteous and godly man that he is? And what does Satan say? If you took this away from him and you did this to him, he'd turn and he'd curse you in a minute. And God says, I'll let you do those things, except you can't take his life. I'll let you do those things. And what does Job do? Job is uh, stricken with all of these uh, reversals of life that are the work of Satan. Do you realize that some things are the natural course of living in a broken world? Some things that happen in the world are the result of demonic forces that make those things occur. And Job doesn't turn his back on God. Job doesn't turn and curse God. But the point is that Satan had access into heaven. But at this point, he no longer has that accent. says he's being cut off from heaven. Now, what do you think that's going to do? When Satan no longer has access to God to be the accuser of the brethren, we'll read that about him here in a minute. He's the accuser of the brethren. When he has, no longer has access to do that, what do you think he's going to do? He's going to turn up the heat through these political leaders, the Antichrist, against the people of Israel. to create as much destruction in Israel and, and the people of Israel as he possibly can. Now, these seven heads and the ten horns and these seven diadems that are on the heads, this is significant because this same beast will be described in chapter 13, verse 1, and we know that this beast, this one who's the great fiery red dragon, we know that this beast is the Antichrist, and we're talking about world government. So... Um, we hear a lot about globalism today. And I understand that we live in a world where we can't live isolated. We can't be an island to ourselves. I understand that. But the whole idea of globalism has danger connected to it. I just, I just finished uh, listening to them talk about some kind of a global 
economic tax. Uh, they're, they're talking about globalism, uh, one party more than the other, talking about globalism. Do you understand that whether this is the timing for the Lord Jesus to come and get his church in the tribulation to begin or not, all of that is a reminder that this can unfold very quickly and can, in fact, occur? There's going to be a one-world government ruled by the Antichrist, this great fiery red dragon who is behind the work of the Antichrist. He'll receive his power from Satan himself. He'll be like a puppet who's simply fulfilling Satan's lifelong ambition, which is to destroy the nation of Israel and to destroy her children. So let me just stop here, and I don't mean to be political. I'm not trying to be political, but... Wasn't that long ago that our Congress voted to uh, fund, I forget the, f the figure, maybe a billion dollars, I can't remember what the figure was, the Iron Dome for Israel? And there were nine uh, Congress people in uh, the House who voted against it. Uh, eight of those were Democrats, one of those was a Republican. You can probably guess four of those, four women. One of them didn't vote. She voted no. Then she changed her vote to present at the last minute rather than to vote no. And then they show pictures of her. She's crying. Oh, you know, I'm crying because I wanted to vote no, but I didn't vote no. I voted present. They, they don't want Israel to exist. They don't want Israel to exist. What is behind that? That's not just policy differences. That's demonic forces. Uh, I don't agree with everything Israel does. We don't have to agree with everything Israel does. But if we ever turn our backs on Israel, this nation is doomed. We are doomed once and for all. You'll notice verse 5, this child. We just talked about it a minute ago. And she bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. Who's that going to be? That's, that's Jesus. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. When, when was this child caught up to God and his throne? At the ascension, Jesus came down through the, the womb of the Virgin Mary. Uh, by the way, please, don't talk about the Immaculate Conception. When you talk about the Immaculate Conception, you're talking about Mary being immaculately conceived. That Mary was sinless and thus was able to give to Jesus his sinlessness. The Immaculate Conception that the Catholics teach does not refer to Jesus Christ. It refers to Mary. But Jesus that was born in her womb and from her womb was miraculously conceived so that he alone had a sinless body and was a sinless human being. He lived out his life, the only one who could live out in absolute obedience to God because he alone was God. Nobody else is perfect. Nobody else can be perfect. Only Jesus could have lived out according to the law of God perfectly. He was taken and unjustly tried. Remember, they came and arrested him from the Garden of Gethsemane. They took him to those six unjust trials. They took him out to Calvary. They nailed him to that tree. And uh, he took our penalty on himself on that tree, and he gave up his life. Nobody took his life. He said, into your hands, Father, I commend my spirit. He gave up his life. They put his body in a tomb. On that third day, on that Easter Sunday, Jesus rose from the grave, and Jesus lives today, the conqueror over sin, death, and hell. hell. 
not hail, H-A-I-L, but H-E-L-L, over hell. Forty days he then spent with his disciples, as many as 500 at one time. They all saw him. They were able to touch him. He's alive. You can see him. You can hear him. And then on the, after 40 days, what did he do? He was with the original 11, and they see him as he ascends back up to the Father. That's what he's talking about. Uh, they, uh, where, where did I go? I've lost my place here. I'm, I'm, I'm over here. She, she bore a male child. She ruled the nation. Who's going to rule the nations with a rod of iron? And her child was caught up to God into his throne. Jesus ascends back to the Father. And where is he today? He's at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us, right? So we know that the child born to this woman, Israel, that Satan wants to destroy is none other than Jesus. Verse 6. Then the woman... That's Israel, fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. You know how many months 1,260 days are? 30-day months. Bible months are 30-day months. We have 31 and 29 and 30. Bible months are 30 days. 1,200 and uh, uh, this period of time, these 1,260 uh, days is 42 months. So we, we've moved to the middle of the tribulation. Now we're moving toward the end. And from the middle of the tribulation toward the end, Israel is going to be persecuted. Satan is going to turn his wrath against Israel. He's going to do what he can to make Israel miserable and to destroy her if possible. That's what he's working at. He's hated Israel from the beginning because through Israel came the Christ child. He's hated them from the beginning. And here you see the last 42 months of this seven years. Well, what's happened? What's changed? In the middle of the tribulation, the Antichrist breaks his agreement, his covenant with the nation of Israel, where he had promised to protect them, let them rebuild their temple, and let them return to their worship. He turns against them. And why would that be? Because Satan is now locked out of heaven. He's now motivating the Antichrist to this uh, demonically produced activity to destroy Israel if he can. He turns all of his energy against Israel. Are you with me so far? Amen. By the way, um, John says here that she fled into the wilderness. Jesus said that they, would, that they would flee to the mountains. Matthew 24, Jesus says that Israel will have to flee to the mountains. And there's always some brilliant scholar who thinks he knows everything or she knows everything and says, well, there's a contradiction it's only a contradiction if you've never been to Israel <laughs> because the wilderness and the mountains are right there together. You understand? Are you all with me? The wilderness and the mountains are uh, there together. I mean, if, you get, if you're in the wilderness, you're in the mountains. If you're in the mountains, you're in the wilderness. Not always, but on this occasion, you're in the, you're in the wilderness. They're there together. There is no contradiction. Verses 7 to 9. And war broke out in heaven. Watch, watch what's about, about to happen. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. So you got Michael fighting against Satan, Satan fighting against... It's, it's hard to even imagine. There's a fight going on in heaven. I'm sort of wondering if we're sort of in the stands watching it, you know, like a wrestling match, you know, like they do. And you know what I'm talking about? 
or maybe a boxing match. You know, we're, 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 we're observing it. Michael and, and uh, Lucifer are in this battle, these demons against the powers of heaven. It says, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So they're shut out. So the great dragon was cast out, that, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceived the whole world. Uh, he was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. By the way, where is Satan ruling today? He is the prince in the power of the, of the air. He's working here in this world around us. He had access to God. He no longer has that access. He's now cut off once and for all and forever. He's cast to the earth, and now his fullest energies are turned against Israel and to do all he can by way of destruction of Israel. He's no longer able to, to go before God. Here's something interesting. In verses 9 and 10, we haven't read verse 10 yet, but in verses 9 and 10, we get six different identifiers for, for this dragon. He's called the dragon. We're talking about Satan. He's called the dragon. He's called the serpent of old. He's called the devil. He's called Satan. He's called the deceiver. And as you're about to see in verse 6, he's called the accuser of the brethren. I'll be glad when he's, ca when he's cast out of heaven because I'm sure that he goes before God periodically and says, Lord, did you see David Lemming? Did you see what he just did? I mean, you're going to call him and claim him as your child? I mean, he's made a mess of some things down there. And I'm grateful to tell you that we have an advocate. Uh, just turn over, if you will, to 1 John chapter 2, just for a moment. 1 John uh, chapter 2. Uh, let me see here. Verses 1 and 2. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. My little children, these things write uh, to you. These things are what he had just said in chapter 1, verses 5 to 10. These things I write to you so that you may know, so that you, you may not sin. And if anyone sins, I mean, he doesn't want us to sin. God doesn't want us to sin. But he also knows that we, well, we sin sometimes, right? And if anyone sins, we have an, here we go, an advocate. Now, I, I, I poke fun at our lawyers in the church, but, you know, when you need a lawyer, you're thankful for them, right? And in heaven, I need an advocate. And he argues my case, an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation, the satisfaction for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. You hear what he says? When the devil says, hey, is the accuser of the brethren, you see what David Lemming did? And Jesus says, ah, I stand up and I defend him. That's been paid for. I took that on myself. He's been forgiven already. By the way, when he died, all of your sins were future tense. So he's forgiven your past sins. He forgives your present sins. He's forgiven your future your sins because all of your sins were future when he died. And he stands in your defense. Aren't you thankful for that? Because Satan doesn't like you either because you love Israel and you love the son that was born through Israel, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 10, then I heard a loud voice from uh, saying in heaven, we don't know who this voice is. It may be the saints, all of the saints. I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. 
Now listen to this. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. Who were these that overcame? It apparently is those who lost their lives as martyrs, probably during the tribulation. But they weren't the losers. They were the victors. They overcame. How did they overcome? They overcame by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, and, and uh, uh, see, uh, cast down. they overcame by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they didn't love their lives to death. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb and by the testimony of their lives. Did you see that? By the way, that's how we overcome as well. We overcome by the blood of Christ and by the testimony of holiness of life. You see that? These are likely the brethren that lost their lives as Christian martyrs, mostly during the tribulation, but Satan couldn't accuse them because they'd already been cleansed by the blood of Christ and they were living holy lives. That's the reason why they lost their lives. Verse 12, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, in you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth. Oh, I mean, this is really bad that Satan has been cast out of heaven and now is turning all of his energies to the earth. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you. Isn't isn't there a song about that? The devil went down to Georgia or something like that? (laughs) I know that everybody has to go through the Atlanta airport to get to heaven. I mean, everybody has to go through the Atlanta airport. So maybe he has to go through Georgia. The devil has to go down to Georgia first. For the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that he has a, oh, I like this, a short time. He knows that his time is almost up. So what is Satan doing? Verse 13, now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. That begins at the middle of the tribulation. There may be others that oppose Israel prior to that, but the Antichrist is protecting Israel and giving them the opportunity to live in peace, come to your land, live in your land, rebuild your temple, reestablish your worship until the middle of the tribulation. By the way, when we get to the chapter where we find out what he does in the temple... Uh, you can see just how evil Satan really is. But here you see, now that he has no longer access to heaven, now he's turned all of his energies toward Israel and toward the destruction of Israel, the persecution of Israel, because through Israel came the Messiah. You get the idea that Satan really hates Jesus? Verse 14, But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the servant, serpent. That, that phrase, time and times and half a time, time, that all comes out of the book of Daniel. We can get Jeremy up here. He's an expert in the book of Daniel. He's talking about a three-and-a-half-year period of time, time and times and half a time. There's three-and-a-half-year period of time. They have to flee. Israel has to flee into the wilderness and into the mountains that are in the wilderness. They have to hide out from uh, the Antichrist motivated by Satan who's looking and trying to destroy them. And they have to be out there for three and a half years, but Satan's end is coming quickly, isn't it? I love that phrase that 
she goes on the two wings of an eagle. The two wings, uh, well, you can't go on the one wing of an eagle. I mean, the eagle's got to have two wings, right? The first time this metaphor is used, one of the first times this metaphor is used in Scripture is for God's deliverance of Israel from the Egyptians. They rode out on the wings of an eagle. It was, a, it was a picture of God rescuing his people, and God is rescuing his people even during the last part of the tribulation period, even though Satan and the Antichrist have turned up the heat against them. Notice what happens, verse 15 to 17. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like, here's that word, not actual, but it's like a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman. The earth helps the woman. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman. And he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. When he talks here about the serpent spewing water out of his mouth, he's talking about symbolically, he says, like a flood. It's a reference to the anti-Semitic movement that's against Israel. It's all motivated by the serpent, by Satan himself. And it may have a militaristic aspect that there are those who try to rise up and uh, with the military attack Israel. But what does God do? God opens up the earth, whether that's literal or that's figurative. In some fashion, God opens up the earth. He's done this before, hasn't he? There's occasions when uh, they were rebelling against God or God's leaders, and he opened up the earth and swallowed them up. And God says, I'm going to protect my people. I'm going to protect the nation of Israel. And the earth opens up, and the earth swallows up that flood of anti-Semitism that's moving toward Israel to make life miserable and to destroy them if possible. And he protects his people. And did you notice it says the dragon was enraged with the woman. Uh, he goes to make war with the rest of her offspring. And why would he want to do that? Because they keep the commandments of God and they have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Again, Satan despises Jesus Christ. And thus, you begin to see the second half of the tribulation beginning to unfold. Now, in chapter 13, you're going to meet uh, some other characters that, that go along with the ones that we've just uh, talked about tonight. But I think we've seen enough tonight to recognize that you can see things happening today, and you can say, I can see how this will occur. I mean, it, it may, this may not be the, uh, the precursor to it occurring immediately, but you can see how what you couldn't understand in the past, how it could ever occur. Now you can see how, well, yeah, I can see how this could occur, Right? For instance, let me just give you a couple of for instances. Uh, people ask the question all the time, you know, is, where's America in prophecy? Well, there's no mention of America in prophecy. Why would that be? Well, think about a 4.5 or $5.4 trillion package that just raises the indebtedness of America to other nations that hold our debt. 
until we're no longer able to pay off that debt and America is no longer the superpower anymore. You understand? The environmentalist, the, the extreme environmentalist, I believe that the earth was given to us by God. He placed Adam and Eve in the garden to tend the garden. They had a responsibility to be good stewards of what was placed before them. But I also know that mankind cannot destroy the earth because God has a plan for it. And for a thousand years, his kingdom is going to be here and he's going to rule over it. And then when that's up, he's going to remake it, a new heaven and a new earth. Can you imagine the golf courses and the new heaven and the new earth? <laughs> it's going to be what it was intended to be before sin entered the picture to begin with. Can you imagine? But you, you look at it and you think to yourself, I could see how America could cease to exist. I mean, the generations that are coming behind my generation, how are they going to pay off this indebtedness when those who are our creditors call that money due? Or we're going to read a little bit later about the mark of the beast. You get it on the forehand or on your forehead. If you can't buy or you can't sell without it, you say, how in the world would they ever get people to do that? <laughs> hey, look. I've been vaccinated twice this week. I'm planning to get the booster shot. I'm going to get the booster shot. I'm going to be down a day while I get it. <laughs> uh, then I'm going to get the flu shot. I'm going to get any shot they'll give me that'll keep me well. Just, just trust me. But then the government mandates it. And if you don't do it, you lose your job. You get turned out. People who were heroes at one time now are... Uh, evil people because they won't take the shot. Now, I think you ought to get the shot. I think you ought to get the vaccine. I think it's for your own advantage. I think it's to your own advantage. I, I got that vaccine and I haven't grown any extra ears. I didn't get any luminescent kind of glow where they're tracking me. I mean, they were already tracking me. I got a phone. They already know where I am. Um, you know, I, I'm not, I, don't, I don't have any, I don't, I don't know of anything that it caused. I think people ought to get that. I think it's a wise thing to do. But you can see, you turn up the peer pressure and you turn up the government pressure, and if you don't take the mark, you don't eat. Can you see? You see how these things play together? Whether this is the time when all of that's going to unfold or that's still a while down the road, you can begin to see how those things can come to pass. You can begin to see how America, or why America isn't mentioned in prophecy, why you can see people taking a mark that they didn't really want to take, but they took it anyway. You can see how these things unfold. You can see the anti-Semitism around the world. Uh, Hamas and others lobbing bombs into Israel, and even some in our own Congress that are opposed to Israel. How do these people get elected? I, only because there's another force at work behind the forces that we see. That's the only reason. So next week we'll pick up, go ahead and read it. Uh, chapter 13, 
See if you can figure out and interpret it before I bring it to you and we interpret it together, okay? Next Sunday evening, Revelation 13.